Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again. So good to see you. Welcome if you're visiting. Particularly warm welcome for guests of uh, people who are getting baptised. And just to reiterate, next Sunday, the 4, the 6 and the 8, we have our Christmas carols. And they're going to just be an amazing celebration of Christmas, but lots of carol singing and an opportunity to, I guess, communicate the meaning of Christmas in a way that hopefully will really engage people who might not usually come to church. So all that to say... Please be coming, because it's going to be amazing. But secondly, try not to come on your own. Bring a plus one. This is a brilliant opportunity, possibly the easiest opportunity to invite a friend to church, because there'll be a familiarity with the carols, and we're going to make it really guest-focused. So if you want to come, just ask you to reserve a ticket. Um, There's a website, isn't there? Gastry.church forward slash... Christmas, really nice and easy. Book a ticket. If you haven't got around to booking a ticket, don't let that stop you coming and we'll pick up the pieces. Um, And I'll probably get in trouble for saying that. But come, bring your friends. Now, today we're baptizing throughout our different locations 55 people, which is amazing. I've just come from St. Luke's where uh, we were baptizing six people and it's just the, the, the church is as full as I've ever seen it. It's so encouraging. And... Baptisms are a reminder for us that God is alive, God is at work, God is transforming people. And one of the best things about the job we get to do is hearing the stories of lives changed. And just a week or so ago, I received a message from Trev and Kat Mearden. Trev and Kat lead our church plant um, to Pipe Hayes, north of the city called Lighthouse. And they sent this message about someone whose life has been changed. It says this, John arrived at Lighthouse one Sunday. Having chatted to him, he told me how he'd come to join us that week. John said, I thought I should explore who God is and what the church is really about. He searched online to find churches in Birmingham. He found Gas Street Church online, started to watch some of the gatherings on YouTube. He found it really intriguing as it wasn't what he'd expected from church. He heard about Lighthouse being a local church plant from Gas Street and because It was just up the road. He thought he would try it. That Sunday, he made a commitment to follow God. I gave him a Bible and suggested he start with Mark. I said I was happy to answer any questions. If he came again, I would help him with it. He came next Sunday, having read all of Mark and with a list of questions. Each week, I gave him another book to read, and every week he came with more questions, wanting to engage more. He's been coming along ever since, wanting to see more of who Jesus is, And he even asked if he was allowed to sit on the front row, which he then did, and he was chuffed to be a part of it. Now, if anyone's been a part of church, you know, when someone wants to sit on the front row, as you can see here, you know revival is basically broken out. But that's so encouraging, isn't it? Someone watching Gastry Church online, and if you're watching online this morning, hello, welcome, finding themselves in a church, becoming a Christian, and their life being changed. Another joy to be a part of here at Gastry is the international community, where we're 80 plus Iranian and Afghanistani men are gathering together, and women, sorry, um, to worship and to be discipled. And this evening at the 6, we're going to be baptizing about 20 plus of these uh, men and women who've now become Christians. And this week I was reading through all the stories, the testimonies, it was so encouraging, but here's one. It says this, 
Before I came to faith in Christ, I had rejected all religion. The religious leaders in my country taught that people born there had no right to choose their religion and nothing except death awaited us. Several months ago, I left Iran looking for freedom. I traveled to the UK. I was invited to the church by a friend, although I was not interested in religion. I'd always been taught to respect others, so I accepted her invitation and I was interested to see how Christians worshiped. I'd never heard or seen people worshiping with joy, but in the church, I saw people of all ages and backgrounds united in joyful praise and worship. At that moment, I began to cry. Each week, I found greater desire to come to the church. After a while, I decided to join the baptism course and seek to find answers to my questions. This class has led me closer to Jesus. I love coming to the class to listen and to learn, and now Jesus has filled my heart. He's given me new life. I came to the church out of curiosity, but now I am overflowing with the love of Jesus. He's given me deep peace. For years I was lost, but Jesus found me and brought me into his fold. Amen. Again, isn't that just so encouraging? For guests here, we've been in a series called Let This Holy Temple Glow, where we've been looking at the church the role of the church, and what does it mean to be the people of God, a people who carry the presence of God. And so today we're finishing off this series, and right through the series we've seen something of the sort of meta-narrative, the big story of God from Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And what we see is this, that God, the Creator, has created us not to control us, but to commune with us, to walk with us, to be in relationship with us. We looked at this Hebrew word, hithalel, which is discovered often in the Old Testament when describing God and his interaction with humanity. And this word means to walk alongside, to be walking back and forth. It's this sense of ongoing life-giving connection. And so we saw in Genesis that God is walking with humankind, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day. They're walking and they're talking. And then we see for the people of Israel, God's chosen people, that God again moves in their midst. He communicates with them. He engages and he walks with them through this cloud by day and a fire by night. And then we looked at this moment where a temple is built by Solomon to house the presence of God. And at the dedication of this temple, the glory of the Lord fills the temple in the form of a cloud. And there was not a smoke machine anywhere to be seen. A sign of God being with them. But then ultimately we see this idea of God walking with humankind in the life of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus takes on human flesh, God incarnate, and he walks with us, literally shoulder to shoulder, connecting with us. And last week, Nick brilliantly reminded us that actually in Jesus now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience God's presence at all times and in all places, anywhere and everywhere. You don't need to go to a temple to engage with God in the shower, on the sports field, in the bar, in the restaurant, at home with family and friends. We can experience the love and the presence of Christ because Jesus 
redefines the geography of our worship. And so we need to clock this, that in the Old Testament, this idea that God meets with his people, and when he'd meet with his people, they'd build an altar, a tabernacle, a temple, which would become the center point of the nation's worship. But then Jesus comes and says, no longer do you need to go to a temple made of stones, but actually you worship in and through me and by the power of the Spirit, you can experience and commune with God Almighty. But here's the final point we want to land this series with. And this really, if we grab hold of this, it changes and transforms everything. And it's this idea, not only is Jesus the temple, the dwelling place of God and humanity, but actually we are the temple. Each and every one of us carry the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're getting this, this idea that we are the dwelling place. We are God's temple. He moves and works in our midst. And then in 1 Peter 2, we read this. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus was often described as the, the cornerstone, the foundation on which everything was built. This stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, so like Jesus, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you, as us, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So let's journey this. Jesus is the temple. And wherever Jesus went, he would heal people. He would transform lives. He would elevate and lift up the poor and the marginalized. He would oppose religious abusive authorities. He would preach and teach with unbelievable wisdom, authority and creativity that has changed humanity forever. Jesus did that. But what we need to understand is that all those things that Jesus did, we too are called to do and have the authority to do because Jesus, by his Spirit, lives in us. And at the start of the series, I shared a vision for our church, that we'd be gatherings where we encounter God, would be a place of encounter, we'd see a time of commissioning, and we'd be a family. And we see this beautifully in baptisms in a moment. We're going to see people baptized because they've encountered God. Their lives have been changed by receiving and understanding who God is. We're going to see people being commissioned into their call, the purposes, the plans that God has for their life and destiny. But also we're going to see people being baptized literally into a family, a church. That's what baptism is about. And so that's the vision for when we gather. But I want to suggest that those three things, encounter, commissioning, and family, should also happen when we scatter. When we go, when we leave this building, because we are a temple on the move. And wherever we go, we carry the presence of Christ. 
The Greek word used most regularly to translate church is ecclesia, and it literally means to be called forth, to be called out. And we are to be dealers of hope, carriers of light, ambassadors of God in our places of work, amongst our families and friends, our neighborhoods and our networks. We're an army on the move. And so everything we have faith for and expectancy for when we gather here on a Sunday, we should have faith and expectancy to see happen in our places of work, on the bus, traveling to work, amongst family and friends, because God lives in us. So the first thing I want to look at is we talked about this being a place of encounter. What does it mean for each and every one of us at all times and in all places to be a place of encounter? Jesus, wherever he went, turned things around. Invite him to a funeral, he'd raise the dead. Invite him to a wedding, you know, if the bride wanted to be the center of attention, that's not going to work too well. He turned water into wine. And at the end of that wedding in Cana, no one was talking about how beautiful the bride looked. They're just talking about how incredible the wine was at the end of the party. Jesus did miracle after miracle, signs and wonders. And then he gathers his disciples and he commissions them and he propels them out. And then the disciples, wherever they go, they begin to heal the sick, raise the dead, plant churches, challenge abuse and see the nation and the world revolutionized. The great Pentecostal preacher Smith Wigglesworth once said, it's not called the book of thoughts. It's called the book of acts. Everywhere they went, they would act in a way that brought life. And we too are a part of this story. The chapter of Acts hasn't finished yet. We are still living in it. And wherever we go, we should act in a way that demonstrates and communicates the heartbeat of God. There's a lady in our church called Claire, and I love this story she shared with us. She was walking in London in Regent's Park, and she's walking past this couple sitting on a bench. And she, this thought kind of drops into her mind that this couple here are struggling to conceive. And God said, look, I want them to know that I want to bless them with a child. Now, Claire is a mature Christian. She's done lots of training on prophetic words, and she knows the deal. You don't prophesy about death, birth, and marriage because it can cause so much pain and anguish and abuse. Anyway, she thinks, right, well, I'm not going to do it. It'd be inappropriate. It goes against my training. She carries on walking. But then she feels God impress upon her. Now, Claire, I want to bless this couple with a child and... I want them to know that it's from me, and I want to use you to communicate that. So she begins to walk towards this couple apprehensively, and she says, look, I know this probably sounds really weird, but I'm a Christian, and I believe God speaks today. And as I was walking past, I felt God say that maybe you're struggling to conceive. Does that make any sense? And the couple began to cry. And the couple told Claire that they'd just received news from their final attempt at IVF and had been told that there's nothing more that could be done, that there was no hope for them to have a child by birth. And they were devastated. And so Claire, with a bit more confidence now, said, well, look, I believe God wants to bless you with a child, and I'd love to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And this couple said, well, look, we don't believe in prayer, but we're desperate. We'll try anything once. And so Claire prayed for them and exchanged numbers and then a whole bunch of months later, Claire received this text from that couple. It said this, Hi, Claire. 
Just wanted to let you know that we are five months pregnant with a little girl. Thank you for your kind words and prayers that day in Regent's Park. And then a number of months after that, she received a text with a picture of this couple holding that beautiful baby girl. Claire was a place of encounter, allowing God's presence and kingdom to break in, to communicate to a couple that there is a God who loves them, who cares for them, and who can do whatever he likes because he rules and he reigns. Claire was a living stone, God's temple on the move. Now, you might be listening to that story thinking, well, that's pretty amazing, a prophetic word. I don't know if I've got the courage for that. But each and every one of us, wherever we go, can carry the peace, the comfort, the love of God. When I was a curate in London at a church called HDB, part of the training is you'd be a hospital chaplain on call at various points throughout the year. And at one point I was on call and I, I, I received a message from the hospital saying, please come in urgently. And what had happened is that a lady had been in an operation, having a major operation on one of her lungs, had to remove a large part. And she'd come out of the operation, was recovering, and her husband was meant to come and visit her, but the husband hadn't shown up and they couldn't get in touch with the husband. And eventually they got in touch with the lady's daughter who went round to the family home and tragically, horrendously found that her father, this lady's husband, had died suddenly in the house. And so this lady is literally coming around from surgery in agony, has now been told that her husband has died and she is beyond distraught. And I get this phone call saying, will you come in as the priest on call? And I'm putting on my dog collar and I am terrified. I think it's one of the most terrifying things I've done, feeling so out of my depth. And as I was driving to the hospital thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? If she asks me any questions about God and suffering, what words will be adequate? And so I walked into the hospital. I walked into her room and she was lying in the bed. And as soon as I walked in, she looked at me. She just said, oh, Father, thank you for coming. I think she um, was from a more... Um, Catholic background and she just began to pour everything out the anguish the fear the devastation the confusion the why the how for literally 45 minutes she just spoke poured it all out before me I barely said a word and then at the end I read a psalm with her and I offered to pray with her and she just said thank you so much thank you that's brought so much peace so appreciate you coming. What was happening in that hospital room? Well, I discovered that my presence was enough. Why? Because God's presence is in me. I didn't need to come up with clever words. I didn't need to articulate a theology of suffering as I stepped into that room, a temple on the move, a dwelling place for God, carrying his spirit, God, through me, ministered his love and comfort to that lady in a moment of utter distress. And God used me, not because I'm a priest, not because I've had theological training, but because I've made myself available. And each and every one of us carry the fullness of God wherever we go. And so I want to encourage us in your places of work, amongst your friends and your family. Be confident that God can minister in 
and through you, that you can become a place of encounter. Second thing, when we go, we become a people who commission others into their purposes. You know, when we gather on a Sunday, we pray for one another. Why do we pray for one another? Because we need God's anointing to, to enable us to outwork our call in our lives, in our places of work, to keep going. We need God's anointing and empowering. That's why I come to church every Sunday, because I need more of God to help me be a better father, a better husband, a better human. But a temple on the move people on the move carrying God's presence, we can actually commission and bless and speak truth and life over people and help them propelled into their call and their destiny. You know, when we gather, what does God do? He speaks truth over us. This is who you are. This is how I see you. This is why I created you. This is the hope that you can look forward to. These are the lies that you need to disregard. And it changes us. It lifts off us the rubbish that we sometimes die under. But there's a world out there who are confused and who get very little encouragement and love. And we have an opportunity, each and every one of us, to speak truth and life over people. And we don't need to do it in overly spiritual language. We can just recognize people's giftings. We can celebrate how they're wired. We can build up the gifts that they have. And it is an amazing thing to do. I remember a little while ago talking to a friend. He's not a Christian, and he was a senior leader in an organization, and he was at the end of himself. He was some relational difficulties. He was battling, and in a moment of rare emotion, he just began crying. I can't keep going. It's too much. And I had an opportunity to speak over him truth and life and encouragement, to say, you're amazing. You're a brilliant leader. God called you to this. You've got gifts for this. I know this is hard, but keep going. It's going to be all right. Don't give up. And I had an opportunity to pray for him. How many opportunities do we have all the time? Talking to a friend at a school gate, someone we're working with, customer, a companion on a bus to work, where we can just speak encouragement, hope, worth over people. If you're a teacher, what an opportunity you have. Your primary call, I don't believe, is to educate people to get through SATs and GCSEs and A-levels. Your primary call is to speak life and truth over young people who are confused and hurting and insecure. If you're a line manager, again, I'd say your primary call is simply just to get more productivity done. Of course, that is exceptionally important. But as well as doing that, you can build people up, speak life over their gifts, help them grow in what they're called to do, give them opportunities to flourish and succeed. If you're a taxi driver, every time you're talking to someone in your car, you can speak life over them. You can encourage them and build them up. And in doing that, what is happening? Well, every moment we do that, the world is beginning to hear the overtures of love of a heavenly father who'd say, you are my children whom I love. I've created you. I've created you in my image. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. But you've lost sight of how good I am. And it's through our words and encouragement they begin to hear a glimpse of a heavenly father's affirmation in life. It's what we get to do everywhere we go, every day. A people, a temple on the move. And then finally, 
we get to be a people that build family. A people that build family. It's one of the defining metaphors of the church and scripture, that of a family. In Ephesians 2 verse 19, it says this, you are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. And we often talk about that. What does it mean to grow in family, community, love for one another? But we're not just family here. We get to build family wherever we go. The UK has a real problem around loneliness. The government have actually made a key priority in investing tens of millions of pounds in this. It's considered by many to be one of the largest public health challenges we face. 7.1% of the population in the UK, that's 3.83 million, would say that they experience chronic loneliness. That means that they feel lonely often or always. Just sit with the devastation of that. So many people feel lonely often or always. And these are people in our worlds, in our orbits, around us. And the people of God, those who are the dwelling place of God, where God inhabits and resides, wherever we go, we have an opportunity to love people, to get alongside people, and to welcome them in to a heavenly family that will last for eternity, that can demonstrate what love and sacrifice and consistency and faithfulness looks like. And I believe literally for some of us here today, extending and building family looks like fostering and adoption. It looks like literally opening up our homes, another table, another chair around the dining room table, another room in our house to welcome in vulnerable children. Some of you will know that Rachel and I have five children, four by birth, one by adoption. And our little daughter, who we adopted about three years ago, she is unbelievably beautiful. And I honestly say it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It's one of the areas where I've experienced most God's pleasure and delight in me. I think it's one of the most Christ-like things I've ever had the privilege of doing because it demonstrates and it communicates the heart of the gospel that we are all adopted into God's family. But it's a radical communication as the people of God, we're willing to sacrifice to make space for others to experience love, welcome, security, and home. Now, I know not everyone here, not everyone in the church is called to foster or adopt, but I actually believe every follower of Jesus Christ is, uh, is called to ask the question, should I foster? Should I adopt? What part can I play? And I'd love as a church as we journey to find ways to help people engage more and more with this because I think it's what the church has to do. But wider than that, each and every one of us are called to build family, to love people and to demonstrate what healthy, beautiful families do. I love the story of a guy called Tony Campolo. Tony's actually preached here a few times. He is an American sociologist and preacher. And he tells the story of one time he was traveling to Honolulu. He's doing some work there. And because of jet lag, he woke up early in the morning, couldn't get back to sleep, so he thought he'd go for a walk. And as he was walking, 
He walked past this greasy cafe and he thought, oh, yes, a coffee and a donut, perfect. So he goes in, he orders a coffee, donut. He's sitting there eating. And as he's eating, it's very quiet. Suddenly the doors open and a whole bunch of women walk in. And it's a group of sex workers who are finishing for the day. And they've come to get some coffee and breakfast before heading home. And there's a commotion, they're you know, loud and full of banter and fun, teasing one another. And at one point, one of the ladies says, oh, it's my 39th birthday tomorrow. And this kind of cues a whole bunch of noise. You know, some of the girls are saying, ah, what do you want us to do? Buy you a birthday cake, throw you a party, write you a card, sing you a song. And she's like, no, no, I'd never expect that. I'd never expect anyone to do that for my birthday. And the women carried on talking and chatting and eventually went home and Tony Campolo was just devastated by that. No one would make you a cake, throw you a party, celebrate you. So he goes up to the guy who's running the cafe, this guy called Harry, and says, do, do those women come in regularly? And Harry said, yeah, every single day they come in for breakfast. And Tony Campolo says, well, what was the name of the lady whose birthday is tomorrow? He said, it was Agnes. He said, why don't we throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow? And Harry's like, I love that. I'll make the cake. And Tony said, well, I'll go and buy a whole bunch of decorations. And anyone you can think, invite them along. So they go off. The next day, Tony Campolo gets up even earlier, gets to the cafe, decorates all. Harry's there standing proudly, holding the cake. And eventually, Agnes and the friends come in, and suddenly everyone goes, surprise! And they sing happy birthday to Agnes. And then Tony Campolo's standing there, sorry, Harry's standing there, presenting this cake, saying, this is for you. Here's a knife. Do you want to cut it? And Agnes is just overcome with emotion. She doesn't know what to do, and she's just looking at the cake. And then she says, look, could I go and take this cake to show my mum? Never had a cake before, and I'd love to show my mum how beautiful it is, and then I'll come back. And Tony said, yeah, of course, you go do that, and we'll wait for you. So Agnes goes off, and by this point, it's a bit awkward because the birthday girl is gone. And so Tony says to everyone, look, why don't we pray for Agnes? Just pray a blessing over her. And at that point, Harry, the cafe owner, says, you're a preacher, aren't you? And Tony goes, yes, I am. He says, what kind of church are you a part of? And Tony Campolis says this. He says, I'm a part of a church that throws parties for sex workers at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. And Harry says, no, you're not. Because if you were a part of that church, I'd be a part of it too. What? can you do in however small a way to communicate to a world what a wonderful father we have and what it is really like to be a part of this family. That means regardless of our choices, our circumstances, our behavior, our history, we are loved, valued, and accepted. We are a temple on the move. And I believe if we would walk in the authority we have to become a place of encounter where human beings get to experience the power and love of God, that we exercise this role of commissioning and calling out golden people and speaking life over people and then to carry and build family wherever we go, I'm convinced of this. Our church buildings will be far too small to welcome in all those who say, I want to be part of a church like that. That's the call on our lives.
to be a temple on the move. Amen. Why don't we stand briefly? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to Nick. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for the call on our lives to love and serve, to carry your fullness. Thank you, Jesus, that your strategy, your plan, the master plan was that we as your people would be the living temple, the living stones, that wherever we go, when we step into our places of work, God steps in through us. Where we're having a conversation with someone who's desperately in need or confused, the power of the Spirit is present because you're at work in us. Lord, where we've had too small a view on who you are and what you can do, Lord, break through. Enlarge our hearts to understand how good you are and something of what you long to do in our world. And we pray this in your name. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.